Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. As you are all well aware of by now, we have a lot of great preachers in this church, and we're going to hear from a few of them tonight. And we are going to start with a powerhouse. They're all powerhouses. Crystal Hexamer is coming to start us off tonight. Thank you, guys. I appreciate being in this house with people that love me and pastors that support me and believe in me, see things that I don't. I just want to pray. I feel so excited. I feel the glory of God in this atmosphere, and it's such an atmosphere of praise, so just let me pray so I can focus. Father God, I thank you for your sweet presence. I thank you for a word that changes us from glory to glory to glory. I thank you for the opportunity to bring you to your people, to show them who you are and remind them who they are in you. May the words of my mouth be glorifying to you, Lord. May it be edifying and changing the hearts of your people to see who you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. But we all, that's all of us as believers, Christians, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, according to the Scriptures, and he rose again in three days, according to the Scriptures, that means you. You're part of that all. With unveiled face, that means there's no veil between you and God anymore. Jesus took care of that. He is your mediator. You don't need a priest. You don't need a sacrifice. You can go boldly to your Father's throne. Beholding, as in a mirror. Beholding is more than just a simple look. It's to gaze upon, to look within, to seek out, to kind of look into your soul, to look into the soul of that person, to really ascertain who they are as a person. And as in a mirror, mirror is an image. It's an image. It's a picture of who they are. The glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is making an invisible God visible, comprehending who he is, his character, his nature, his glory, his spirit, his presence. The presence of God is his glory. There's nothing more glorious than the presence of God. And being transferred, I'm sorry, transferred, can't read my own writing, transformed into the same image, transformed by beholding the Lord, by beholding the glory of God, that you're transformed by your meeting with him, whether it's hearing the word or worshiping or just meditating on him, or reading his scripture. The greater revelation you have of him, the greater revelation you will have of his glory. From glory to glory, that means the more that you spend time in his presence, the more you change. You get better and better. You have more of him and less of you. You become who's always designed you to be. And just as by the Spirit of God, we're transformed by the Spirit of God, the presence of God. And he was, and he is, and he will be. He's all over the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, it starts out saying that 
his spirit or his presence hovers over the water before creation even began. God was there. In Genesis chapter 5, it talks about him walking, the presence of God, the spirit of God walking in the garden with Adam. And then the fall of man happened. And in Exodus chapter 40, I think it's 34, verse 34 through 38, it talks about the Lord making his tabernacle, his resting place, his dwelling place in the holiest of holies. And then we jump to John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He became Jesus. Jesus was the personification of God's glory. He was God with skin on. He made the invisible God visible. His character, who he is, what is possible in him, who you are, what his desires are, what his heart is. He was perfect man and perfect God for us to behold. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God decided to make his tabernacle in you. The spirit of the living God is on the inside of you. The glory of God resides in you. His words in Corinthians and Galatians and so many other places says that you are the temple of the most high God. The Lord is in his holy temple. You are that temple. You are that person that reveals his glory. He dwells in you. Isn't that incredible? The glory of God is on the inside of you. And by beholding Jesus, when we look into his face, when we think about him, when we meditate about him, we get a picture of humankind without depravity, without sin, the way God intended it. He's our bar. He's our standard. He shows us this is who you are. This is who God created you to be. The glory of God resides in you. The more time you spend with him, the more time you become like him. The greater revelation you have of the glory on the inside of you, the greater revelation you have of him. It's interchangeable. The more you know him, the more he resides in you. Your level of grace, your level of love, your level of glory that people see, the image that you reflect, the more time you spend with him, the more time that becomes who you are. And then it gives you a glimpse of who you can be, who you were formed to be, what he had in mind for you all along. It's kind of like, and I know you've heard this example before, but it's just so darn good, so you hear it all the time, but uh, the sun and the moon. The moon has no light of its own. The sun shines on it, and it's a reflection of that light. You're a reflection of God's glory. God's glory is in this house because we are corporately here together. There is nothing that can stand in the glory of God. I know that there's been times when worshiping, and even now, when you're worshiping, you're thinking of the Lord, and you're really pressing in, there's a, there's a weight to it. There's power behind it. You know, the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in these praises. The glory of the Lord is here. I've heard people say that over and over again. But it is. It's, an, it's a magnificent thing. And he defines who you are. You don't. His word does. His glory does. You're renewed and you're made new. And he says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That you were chosen in your mother's womb. 
that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that you can do all things through him, that you can be changed from glory to glory to glory, that you have a plan and a purpose and a destiny and a future. He says that. To say anything counter to that is not humility. Humility is taking your God-designed space in the world, is to operate out of what he says. You're not defined by what you say, what people have said about you, your successes, your failures, things that have happened to you, even things that you say to yourself. You're defined by the glory of God. You're defined by what he says, not by what other people say to you. So to be humble is to say, okay, Lord, I'll take my place. I don't feel ready. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel talented. I don't feel like I have a gift, but nevertheless, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to take my place, my God-designed place, and do what you put in my heart to do. So I just want to encourage you tonight that no matter what you're facing, no matter what is coming against you, it has to bow its knee to the glory of God that's on the inside of you. Sickness has to flee. Depression has to flee. Lack has to flee. Lies are exposed, nothing can stand in the presence of God. Nothing can stand against the glory that you have in you. So I just want to remind you tonight that you are glorious because he is glorious. Amen. Wow, that was good. Thank you, Crystal. You were right, Don. She's good. Yeah, you did. Have to admit. All right, next on our list is Miss Ashley Tamborin. Gee, thanks, Heather. Here she comes in her goofy glory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, guys, I'm a very practical person. That's who I am at heart. Um, I prefer teaching over preaching. So, tonight, I'm just going to like really go into that mode. I do not have the perfect illustration, but I just want to teach you something. Um, The Lord has had me read in Ruth for the last two weeks, and I can't get out of it. It's just over, and when I I stop and I'm calling, okay, where next? It's like, read it again, read it again, read it again. And the Lord has really broken my heart because he has given me so much faith to see uh, the parallel between what Ruth did and where Ruth was and where I walk in my life. But it's not because I'm special. Um, I believe that the book of Ruth gives us the principles to live by in transition. And so I'm going to take you through that book quickly um, and give you several points that you can really live by. Because I love coming to church, but there are times when it's like, yes, but what is the actual thing to get to the thing and to go do the thing, you know? So everybody knows that Ruth... um, So, um, excuse me, excuse me. Elimelech and Naomi, they are Jewish. They travel to a distant land because there was famine in in Israel, specifically Bethlehem where they lived. So they travel there. They take their sons. Elimelech dies, very sad. Uh, The boys get married. Within 10 years, the sons die. So it's Naomi left with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. So that's really where the story begins. She decides, Naomi decides, I'm going to go back to my homeland. I hear the crops are better. I'm going to go back there. They all begin on their journey. Well, Naomi has a change of heart. She says, you know what, ladies, you need to go back. There's no reason for you to go with me. You need to go back. And of course, they contend, no, we're going to stay with you. We want to be with you. Everybody's crying. No, we're staying with you. And she says, no, really, you have to go back. 
So Orpah says, okay, I'll, I'll go back to my people. But Ruth clings to her, and this is what we know the most about the story of Ruth. Ruth clings to her, and she says, no, wherever you go, I will go. Your God is my God. Where you die, I will die. And so that is my first point, is that when you are in a transition, you cannot go back. You cannot look back and wish that you could go back. You cannot. You have to leave everything that you had behind and understand, I am on a journey. I am going somewhere, and all I have is my God and my family. That is what you have to cling to first and foremost. And we can even see this that was produced in the girls' lives. You look at Orpah, who by, you know, uh, the ancient tradition, she is the grandmother of Goliath. Ruth is the grandmother of David. You look at that one choice and where it took both of those women, and it's, it's incredible. So then that takes me to point two, which is the ladies travel. They arrive in Israel. They arrive in Bethlehem, excuse me, and they're both widowed. It's, it's the worst position you can be in in society. So Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going to go glean in the fields. And I love this about her because she's a worker. Everybody in the story looks at Boaz like, oh, he provided. He was the real savior. No, Ruth stepped up first. Ruth took her place first. Ruth protected first. And we need to focus on that, that that woman of God took her place. And you know what? When you were gleaning in fields, you could get in a lot of trouble. The men tormented you. You could not find anything. You work your butt off in in the field all day and to come to nothing. It was a very dangerous job, but she was brave. You know, as a single mom with three kids, the buck stops with me. Someone breaks in my house. Guess who they meet? Me. But it takes work ethic and bravery and getting out in the field with what you have, where you are. And Ruth did that. She gave us that in chapter 2, too. That's when she said that. So I love that. She goes and begins to work in this field. She happens upon it. It's Boaz's field. She doesn't know that. She just begins to work. So then in 2-6, Boaz comes, and he sees her. And he doesn't talk directly to her. He talks to her supervisor. He talks to the foreman. He says, who's that lady over there? And he says, oh, that's uh, Ruth, the Moabite. She came with Naomi. And she's been working all day. She's only taken one break for water. What does that say? It says that when you're working and you're operating in the will of God, the people in authority are looking at your character. And that's something to remember in a life transition, that your character is speaking about God in your life. And so it's, it's funny because... Then Boaz goes over to her and he says, hey, listen, you need to stay with the women. You know, don't, don't go to any other field. You, you stay here with me and, and we'll take care of you. I'll tell the men to leave you alone. And so he has favor on her. And, you know, we wonder kind of why is Boaz having all this favor? But I started thinking about it and the Lord put it in my heart. Who was Boaz's mother? Rahab the prostitute. Rahab was a woman that lived in the wall of Jericho. And she was the only one who harbored the spies when they came to spy it out. And she said, if you will have mercy and save me and my family, then in exchange, I will will keep you safe. I will protect you. And that one brave woman, she was a foreigner. She was a prostitute. How many times do you think Boaz heard about that story of his mother's courage? And don't you think he saw that in Ruth's face as she worked her butt into the ground? He saw a woman that would do anything for her family and had a work ethic, you know? And so she falls to her knees humbly, and she shows with humility and gratefulness, why would you be so kind to me? And he said, it's because of loyalty to your family. And so that would be my fourth point, is that in the transition, operate in humility and gratefulness. And then through that, God will provide for you throughout your season.
because he went to his people and he said, drop a little extra for her. Make sure she has plenty. And so God just kept giving and giving and giving and giving, and that's what he'll do for you. So then it brings us to still chapter 223. I think we picture that Ruth works and she gets spotted by Boaz and then they get hitched and it's all fantastic. Ruth worked through two harvests, two entire harvests, through the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And then something began to happen. So I definitely would say my sixth point is do not give up. Guys, we all have that thing in our lives, that one thing. Oh, it's the job, it's the kids, it's the this, it's the that. That one thing we're all working on right now. Do not give up. Do not give up. So then in chapter 3, I love this because after she's worked through the two harvests, she comes home to Naomi and Naomi says, daughter, it's time for you to get married. It's time for you to go off and and I'm going to give you this plan for how you can basically in a submissive way propose to Boaz. And so it's this, you know, kind of cultural Jewish thing. She's going to lay at his feet. And Naomi says, yes, I'll do whatever. I'm sorry, excuse me. Ruth says, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And so my, my seventh point would be you need to trust and submit to the divine alignments in your life. Because they are going to see things that you cannot see. They're going to see giftings in you that you cannot see. They're going to have wisdom that you do not have. And so when you are in that transition, you have to trust those people. That was Naomi's idea. Ruth had nothing to do with it. And so she goes, and she submits herself, and she lays at Boaz's feet, and he says, ooh, I I like that. Okay, great. (laughs) Let me take care of this. I'm going to go. There is another redeemer that's actually closer to you than me, and I have to see him first. So he goes, and he finds this redeemer, and he's like, hey, there's this land that Naomi's selling. Would you like to purchase the land? He says, yes, I would. I would like to purchase that land. And then Boaz says, well, if you do that, you get Ruth the Moabite, and she needs a son so she can carry on the name. And the Redeemer's like, um, no, 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 I'm not into that. I'm not going to marry somebody. I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested in the land, but the whole marriage, that'll compromise my own lineage. Well, when you look at that from afar, it's a little bit of rejection. You look at what's the better idea. You might be working in your transition, and there's some things that make a, you know, an obvious fit. Oh, okay, well, I'll do this, or oh, this makes sense, or okay, well, I've got to go through this step before this step. But God always has a better plan. And when there is rejection, when that man gave that up, it was for a divine reason because God knew better. He knew that he had Boaz waiting in the wings. So don't be discouraged when what your plan was doesn't work out. And lastly, I would say that know that God is so faithful. He is so faithful. You look, you know, Boaz married Ruth. He gave her a son, you know, joy and was rejuvenated the entire family. And then ultimately, Ruth was, you know, the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of David who was in the line to Jesus. So Jesus came from not only Rahab, but he also came from Ruth the Moabite, a foreigner, a nothing. And so I know that there's a thousand points. I don't have to list them again. But I would just say stay encouraged. God is watching you. Go read the book of Ruth. It's so incredible. And um, that's it. Ashley, when I say you're goofy, it's a compliment. We celebrate goofiness in this church. That was so good. Thank you. Uh, Next up is our illustrious worship leader, Faith Winchell. Thank you. (laughs) 
Um, I'm gonna, my message tonight is God is seeking you. Last week we were walking through the Gospels and we were in Matthew 13. And Matthew 13, 45 through 46 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a, great, a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. And Pastor Eric talked to us about this scripture and he said that God is the merchant and he is in search of you. And that kind of stuck with me all week. And so I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive into it. And um, so in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And since we are Gentiles, our ancestors definitely had an empty life. We had absolutely no promise, but God saved us from that. And he paid not by mere gold or silver, which lose their value, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Like the merchant who sold everything in order to buy this precious pearl, God paid for you with the blood of his son. God is seeking each one of you because you are worth finding. This uh, past weekend, my friend Colin, who is an incredibly talented musician, was in town uh, playing a show in downtown Dallas. And so I drove out to the show to watch, to see him, to enjoy his music. But before the show, I didn't get to go up to him and say hi and, um, you know, hang out with him for a little bit because I, I was running late, the show was running late, everything. So the first time I saw him was on stage. And so we didn't get to say hi, but I have a little clip from the show that I would like to show you. He was doing a cover, obviously, it's not his song, <laughs> but he was doing a cover, and um, in the song before, he caught eyes with me, and so he knew exactly where I was, and he wanted to say hi to me, but he didn't, you know, not from the stage, because that's, you know, weird, I guess, but anyway, so he decided to go out into the crowd and find me and give me a hug, basically just to say hi, right? <laughs> um, in the par as if the parable of the merchant wasn't enough to show how God will seek you, God also showed me this moment and saying, this is how I will seek you out. I will go down into the crowd and find you just to give you a hug to show you that I love you. The whole time he was on stage, I could see him. But the moment he left the stage, I mean, I'm incredibly short. Um, so I could not see over the, the crowd. I couldn't see him anywhere. I didn't know where he was until all of a sudden the crowd parted and there he was. Sometimes God is seeking us and we feel like we can't find him, but that doesn't mean that he can't find us. He is still looking for us. Luke 19:10 says, 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Before you were a son or a daughter of the Most High God, before you were saved, God went to seek, to seek you out, and he found you. And I think we all know John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If God is willing to pay for his Son, to pay for you with his Son, he must think that you're incredibly precious. Even after he found you, he's still willing to seek you out. The merchant sought the pearl and sold everything for it. And I think he's going to still want to find that pearl. For instance, if the pearl is sitting on a table and it falls off, I don't think he's going to all of a sudden decide, nah, I'm good, I don't need to find the pearl that I gave up everything for. No, he's going to look under the table until he finds that pearl. Like Colin in the crowd, coming into the crowd to say hi for an old friend. He knew exactly where I was. Even though I didn't know where he was, he came down and he found me. Sometimes we let things get in the way, and we can't see God, but he knows where you are, and he is actively looking to find you because you are worth it. You are the pearl of great value. You are the one God is seeking out. And if you ever feel like you are enough, Remember that God paid the ransom for your life because he thought you were more than enough. Thank you. Wow. That's good. Thank you. All right. And finally, we've had a lot of ladies, so we're going to throw some testosterone in there. Even though the women around here can preach, can't they? Dang. All right, Carl, you got some big shoes to fill. Thank you. All right. So, just so we can get to know each other a little better, helps put me at ease. Um, so, when I'm given an opportunity to speak in someone else's pulpit, a lot of people are like, oh, it's such an honor. I'm going to do whatever it takes to honor that and be respectful. So, something in me says, like, it's just like, I want to see how far I can push this. I want to see if maybe I will not get invited back. <laughs> so we'll see. If I don't show up next week, um, you'll know why. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, so I just want to share one moment in life before I start that makes me really happy that I didn't know was going to bring joy to my life when I was born or when I was older. So growing up in my house, uh, we didn't really swear. It just wasn't part of who we were, and my parents were a little strict, and there was just something we didn't do. As we got older and I became a teenager, we found that if we made it funny, then we could swear. <laughs> if we got our parents to laugh, then we could sneak in swear words. <laughs> so recently we're talking to our children about swearing. My children are 11 and 8, and uh, and the one, one funny side note about our children is they're like, Dad, so is this a swear word? Beep. Yes, that's a swear word. We're not going to use that word, okay? And Savannah picked it up really quick. And then Jira the next day would come back to me, and he's like, Dad, is this a swear word? Beep. Yes, that's still a swear word. He's like, I'm just making, making sure. So eventually I compromised. 
And I said, okay, here's the deal. Look, you wild children. You can swear if you do it in a British accent. <laughs> so, anyways, it's just now we walk through our house, and then all of a sudden we hear, bloody hell, bloody hell. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, Father, I'm playing Fortnite. <sighs> anyways, that's my life. And God still uses me. Like, the door is open. <laughs> he uses anybody, okay? <laughs> Be encouraged. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so I just wanted to share real quick about living with a promise. So we're called to have this eternal hope that now lives inside of us. And this hope needs something to do. It's kind of like potential. I don't know if you guys have ever read Miles Monroe or any of his stuff, but he believes every person has potential, which I think every person does. Um, he shared a story one time that he didn't know how fast he could run until a dog was chasing him. And at that point, the potential to run fast was no longer potential, and it was real, and it happened. And he learned that he could run fast. And so hope and faith are kind of like that, where they need something to attach to. They need a purpose. And so a lot of times we'll say a dream. You can say like, okay, attach it to a dream that you have. Or attach it to a promise, maybe a promise that God is giving you. So I think that's where I want to land tonight is how do we live with a promise from God? And I like uh, Ashley, very practical. I like to be very practical as well. Um, and so it's just kind of how I operate. So there must be someone out there who also is very practical. So I just want to share something really quick. Um, number one is you got to get a promise. So get a promise. Uh, if you don't have a promise, let me give you a couple really practical places to get them. The Bible, uh, you can start. Uh, there's tons of promises. There's a promise um, to forgive us. There's a promise to protect us, a promise to heal us a promise to never leave us, and my favorite one, a promise to love us. I like to be loved. A um, couple ways that God delivered promises, I love reading the Bible and see how he interacted with people, is he talked to them. So I'm just, I'm blown away that we do not hear more people saying, guess what God told me, guess what I heard from the Lord, or guess what God put on my heart. Like, God was constantly talking to his children and talking to his people. Can, can I just tell you, if he's talking to me, he'll talk to anybody, okay? <laughs> it's out there. He wants to talk to you. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. You're his. He wants to talk to you. He wants to give you a promise. One way that I started um, when, I was early, when I was younger, I found Psalms 29.3, and it says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. So whenever I needed to hear from God, I would go find a pond and I'd be like, God, you said your voice is over the waters. Will you speak to me? And normally he would. Like, he would show up. I think it was because he's like, hey, somebody's using faith. I'm going to meet them there. I also learned later through science, some of you may know what that is, that we are mostly water. So I didn't really have to go to the pond. <laughs> later, though, I learned in the New Testament that we actually have this connection all the time. So it's actually through the Holy Spirit, 
I'll give you a couple of scriptures. You don't have to look them up, but John 14, 26 says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all things that I said. Um, also, John 16, 13 says, The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So now we have access to this. So we can get a promise. We can get a word from God anytime we need it. And I want to encourage you to put a demand on this hope, to put a demand out there. Go find some time and get away with God and be like, God, what's on your heart? What, what do you have for me? What dreams do I need to wipe off and put back out on full and center? Or maybe there's somebody you want me to call and minister to do. Minister to do? I don't know. But God wants to speak to you. Make room for his promise. All right. My second point, which is actually my favorite one. And this is, a, I'll just kind of summarize the story of Abram. He's not Abraham yet. But in uh, Genesis 12, uh, the Lord is talking to him. And he says, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What I love about that is that the promise is not your responsibility. It's your destiny. That's why they let me speak every once in a while. <laughs> you just got to have a few gold nuggets out there. And then they're like, oh, okay, we'll compromise. <laughs> um, I love the fact that God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. He's basically saying, this promise I'm going to give you, I'm going to make it happen. It's, you don't have to make it happen. You don't have to figure out how one day you're going to own your own coffee shop how one day you're going to own your own business or anything, whatever dreams are inside of your heart, you don't have to figure it out. God's going to figure it out. It's your destiny. You get to walk through it. And so it's just a flip of the mind and it's say, yeah, that's my destiny. That's who I am. So I'm heading that direction. Amen? Amen. Um, real quick, we'll just help with Abraham. He did lose faith at a few points. And so I just want to speak to that real quick because he's human, right? And it probably, you're like, man, God told you he was going to do it. How did you lose faith and hope? And why did you feel like you had to make something happen on your own? And technically, which his wife offered that idea up. So technically, it was her. She must have lost faith. <laughs> but I'm not counting. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, <ain't> true. <laughs> um, all right. Anyways. I think that he probably lost faith because he was probably saying it a lot. And speaking of Lot, it's probably when he was talking to Lot. And Lot was like, hey, where's that promise? Hey, how's the family? Where's the multitude? Where's the nations? What's going on with this dream that you have? And you know what? After so many family reunions and after so many nothing happening, he probably got down. He's like, you know what? This is really hard. I am so done. Um, I can relate because... Before the job I have now, I worked at a company for eight years. And I totaled, I actually applied during those eight years to th over 360 jobs. 
<laughs> so I don't know what I was thinking. Sometimes I have a little compulsive disorder, and I'm like, no, I got to do this, do this. Anyways, I really like looking at want ads, and I love applying to stuff, stuff that I'm not even qualified for. <sighs> we all have our issues. It's fine, okay? I learned a lot. I learned a lot about going on interviews. But after a while, I got tired of talking about it because it just seemed like the right fit never came on and I always wanted too much money and we couldn't move out of state because Pearl didn't want to. So then it was like, ah. Anyways, but after a while, I had a conversation, a serious one with Pearl. I was like, hey, I'm not telling anybody next time I go on an interview because it's like until there's a real offer or until something, because I just got tired of it because you get your hopes up. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm interviewing with this company and and then the parents next week are like, so what happened? And they're like, oh, I didn't get an offer. And then it's just like, after a while, you're like, eh, I'm done. I'm tired of talking about it. And so the next promise, or the next key is this promise will require faith. And faith is tricky because we have to keep it going. And sometimes faith requires a little encouragement. And so sometimes you have to get around people that encourage you. Or you have to get around the body of Christ and constantly be encouraged. So I just want to encourage you. So after all those jobs, I kind of gave up. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done looking for other jobs. Just going to try to be happy. And if something comes along that's better, I'll, I'll look into it. So eventually, after those eight years, um, God brought something I wasn't even looking for. And somebody, some recruiter called me off of LinkedIn they're like, hey, would you want to talk to this company? I was like, sure, not really, but I'll, I'll go try. And ended up getting a job offer, and it was better, and it was such a peaceful, easy process. And I was like, oh, God, I should do things your way. This works out great. <clears throat> um, but right before that, I had to get some faith, and I had to get some help. Um, so actually, Crystal helped me one time look over my resume to make sure I was on track. She looked it over, and she was like, you're on, Tiger. Go get it. So, actually, she did not call me Tiger, just to clarify. <laughs> Anyways, one other step that helps me to be encouraged is while you're believing for this promise, start working on something. So, I think of Noah, and God's like, hey, it's going to rain. I need you to build a boat. And Noah started. And he started by building one board at a time. And so find your board. Find something you can build. So maybe you're believing for your next step and you don't know what it is. Well, get closer. Start learning about that subject. Start learning about that field. Start doing something. Um, for me, I want to get into counseling one day. And even though I'm not doing it full-time now, but I get to work on it. You know, I get to take classes. And then every once in a while, I get to help people with some counseling. And it's enough, and it's fulfilling, and it, it just constantly reminds me, like, oh, yeah, that dream, it's down there. I'll just work on it one board at a time. So that's all I want to encourage you with. But let me repeat the really good one is the promise is not your responsibility. It's your destiny. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this great time that we've had together, Lord. I thank you that you have given so many the desire to communicate your word, Lord, and that they can do it so effectively. And Father, I thank you that each person here was able to take a seed with them from 
one or all four of the messages, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that it will be uh, life-changing and impactful, Lord. And Father, again, I just ask that you help us remember of the Spirit of God that dwells on the inside of us that we carry with us and the power that that goes along with that. And Father, I thank you that you would just return everybody home safely tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.